Thanks, Danny. <clears throat> and worship team, good job this morning. So I'm going to make an announcement at the beginning of this message, which I don't normally do. But I just want to say I am so thankful for our Operation Christmas Child. One of the things that God calls us to do is to reach the world with the gospel. And we start, you know, in Jerusalem, Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the earth. And the, Christ, the, the Christmas child boxes are something that we do to the uttermost parts of the earth. But God doesn't just intend us to reach people somewhere else, someone else somewhere else. He intends us to reach people right where we live. And so we have a, a team of people that have been just kind of brainstorming Christmas. How many of you guys know this year that Christmas is on Sunday? Okay, so this year Christmas is on Sunday. So we have, a, we have some special things planned um, for Christmas on Sunday. And so what I want you to do is I want to start by just saying, do you have the church app on your phone? Okay, so if you, if you don't have the church app, um, you should download it. And I'll tell you, the problem with going to the app store and putting in Foothills Church is if you do that, there's a ton of Foothills churches. We have people who have given to us that we're intending to give to someone else. So I guess it's not always bad. Uh, yeah, let's give a hand for some confusion. Um, but if you want to find Foothills Church, if you put in Foothills Church RSM, you will find our app, and you'll see it because it has, like, our little church logo, which you should know what that looks like. Um, so, but if you go to the app, you will see the weekly, and there's that, that little first tile you can tap, and that gives you the weekly email that we send out where you can sign up for things. And so if you tap on that, you will see the screen on the right-hand side, which is the new members class and also the pastor's coffee. And that's not my announcement. That's just how the app works. And then this, this uh, leads into my announcement is you'll notice right on the center it says to sign up and if you click on sign up you'll have these other links and if you tap on registrations you'll see pastors uh, coffee and operation joy drop so i'm actually here to tell you about operation joy drop um have um have any of you uh ever heard just sign up on the website or in the app and you have no idea what to do about that this is for any of you folks that's why we did that so let me tell you about Operation uh, Joy Drop, which, by the way, I'm in that category often. But basically, we have a special service plan. So we're going we're gonna to do a service at 11 o'clock on Christmas Day, and we're going to try to make that a child-friendly service. And we have a team of people, the creative team, have been sitting and just kind of brainstorming, what can we do to make Christmas helpful for the people in our church family and to do something spiritually significant on that day? And uh, so they've come up with things like, give little kids bells where if they shake them, uh, every time I say Jesus, the kids ring a little bell. So we're going to do, be doing some things like that, try to have a short service um, that's short and encouraging. And, uh, you know, for all, a lot of us, we're overwhelmed on, on Christmas. We have all kinds of family and all kinds of things. But you want to know what has really stood out to me as we've been talking about Christmas on Sunday are the number of people who say, I don't want to miss church on Sunday because this is my family and people wanting to come here to connect, and for us to remember that the purpose of Christmas is Christ. And then the other thing is, on the way home, this team of people is going to put together a, a gift from Foothills Church that will have the gospel in it. Um, there are already people who have reached out to local businesses and asked them to donate toward these gifts. So like Handles and Elisimo Coffee, and some people are just donating so that we can give out gift cards. 
There'll be a gospel message related to Christmas and some information about foothills. And this is our goal, is that that would be a part of how you shepherd your family and how you think about Christmas. You know, often Christmas can be about us and what am I going to get? And this is an opportunity to help kids remember that Christmas is not about all the gifts. I mean, that's a fun part of it. It is not about those details. It's actually about Christ. And so on the way home, we're going to get a whole list of addresses and just give people gifts. And on the way home, we're planning for people to just make one stop on the way home and just go drop something off and say, here's a gift. And the really cool thing about that is we're asking people in our church family Pray about who are the people that will be working on Christmas that you normally see, like people in a gas station, people working at the the security booth where you enter your neighborhood, people who are often forgotten at Christmas, a business that you frequent that you know is going to be open on Christmas. And so what we're, when you sign up for um, Operation Joy Drop, you don't have to uh, give us an address of a location. We're figuring that out and and you can just sign up to get one. But we want this to be part of your personal evangelism ministry where you think about who are the people that I cross paths with, that I'm praying for their salvation, I'm praying for their well-being, I'm praying that God would open up a door for me to talk to them. And if you give us that address, we will make that, we, we will make a gift for that person, for that, that group, and then um, we'll, we'll assign that to you to go drop that off. And here's the cool thing. Um, you know, we a lot of times struggle with starting a conversation about the gospel. <laughs> I'm just telling you, nobody's going to get mad that on Christmas you said, hey, here's a gift back basket from the folks at Foothills Church, and we're praying for you, just praying that God would bless you this season. And then as they get that and they read the gospel message, they're going to know, hey, this is a Christian. And if they have thoughts, if they have questions, then they'll talk to you. And so it just opens up that door in a way that is awesome. <laughs> you know, no, nobody's going to get mad that you gave them a gift card. And, um, and so just we're praying that you'll do that. We want you to know that that's coming. And so we want to make sure that we don't, like this, this is coming up. You can sign up on the website for that. All those details will be there. Um, we don't want to, you know, not remember that we need to reach people in other parts of the world. That is an incredible privilege. But God intends us to reach people right here where we live. So. That's my announcement, and uh, you could be praying for our whole Christmas season. All right, let's jump into 1 Corinthians chapter 7. So if you have your Bibles, open them up there, 1 Corinthians chapter 7. We're going to start in verse 17, and this morning might be an additional miracle. I had a sermon a while back with like seven points or something, and we made made it through. Uh, We got a lot of verses this morning. We'll see if we get through them. Um, As we think about this, we've been talking about marriage And as you think about the book of 1 Corinthians, um, God does address these really practical things in our life. One of the things I love about the Bible is that there's no area of your life that the Bible doesn't address. It is sufficient. Uh, God tells us how to think and how to live and what to do in very specific situations. And nobody is left out. If you're married, you're not left out. If you're single, you're not left out. If you're married to somebody who's not a believer, you're not left out. Um, God has a message for every person. And what it comes down to, if you think about the priority, it's that we need to have a relationship with Christ. And that once we have a relationship with Christ, we glorify God in everything that we do. 
the purpose of our life, the purpose of your marriage, the purpose of your job, the purpose of your sports, the purpose of your friendships, the purpose of everything in your life is to glorify God. 1 Corinthians 10, 31, so whatever you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. You know, it's amazing how when we forget that, we can get off track in any area of our life. Let me just remind you about what we've covered so far in the book of 1 Corinthians. The first thing is that the Apostle Paul is just thankful for their salvation, that they are saints, that God saved them, that they are holy, that they are right before God because of what Jesus did. And then he goes right to talking about divisions in the church. I mean, God has done this amazing thing by saving these people in this wicked city. And Satan wants to destroy that. And he always goes after God's good things with division, with conflict. And so the Apostle Paul addresses that. And then he just reminds everybody that we live before God. We are accountable um, for God. And one day we will stand before him. And then he addresses the fact that in their distraction, in all of their conflict, they were missing doing the things that God called them to do. There's a man living in their church who's living in sin, gross sin, and that church is not figuring out how do we come alongside this person? How do we help them? How do we address the sin issue? And Paul just says, that person is committed to sin. You need to remove him from the church. And we always think about, hey, the church always wants everybody in it. But Paul says, take that person out. And we, we know that that was a very sorrowful letter. Paul writes about this in 2 Corinthians, about how it broke his heart to say that about that person, to tell that church to remove them. But one of the awesome things is that church being faithful, doing what God told them to do, that man comes back in repentance. And Paul talks about that in the book of 2 Corinthians. When we do the things God calls us to do, that is a spiritual blessing. And then he gets to this spot where he starts answering questions. And this is going to be like the rest of the book of 1 Corinthians. It's where we are today. But he, they ask questions about lawsuits. They ask questions about marriage. They ask questions about singleness. And the Apostle Paul starts addressing these questions. And that's where we are. And what is amazing is that the theme of actually everything is that we live our lives for the glory of Christ. And so I'm going to read verse 17 through 24, and then I'm just going to explain how that relates to actually all the things Paul has already said in 1 Corinthians 7 and the rest of the chapter. Really, the theme of it is in 1 Corinthians 7, 17 to 24. So let's read that. So the Apostle Paul's been talking about marriage and divorce, and then he says, only let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned to him and to which God has called him. This is my rule in all the churches. Was anyone at the time of his call already circumcised? Let him not seek to remove the marks of circumcision. Was anyone at the time of his call uncircumcised? Let him not seek circumcision. For neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision. But grab this next phrase but keeping the commandments of God. That is what is the priority in life. Verse 20, each one should remain in the condition in which he was called. Were you a bondservant or a slave when called? Don't be concerned about it. 
But if you can gain your freedom, avail yourself of the opportunity. For he who is called in the Lord as a bondservant is a free man of the Lord. Likewise, he who is free when called, as a bon- a, called is a bondservant of Christ. You were bought with a price. Do not become bondservants of men. So brothers, in whatever condition each was called, let him remain with God. You know, when you think about that, Paul is just saying your circumstances, whatever the details of your life are, are not what is significant. They don't determine who you are. You are not defined by your circumstances. You are defined by your relationship with God. That is the incredible message. You know, we live in a country of freedom. We live in a country of choice. And a lot of times we can have political, you know, passions where we're like, this is the political thing that needs to happen, and I'm going to work toward this, and I'm voting for this, and I'm voting for that. And, of course, all of those things for us as believers are informed by what God says about who we should be and how we should think. But, you know, there are people who are in prison when they come to know the Lord. They have no control of their circumstances. There are people in other parts of the world where there's all kinds of abuse, all kinds of just disastrous, sinful culture, and they have no choice, in a sense, of the lot that they have in life. Uh, there, there, there are people who can be killed for doing the most insignificant things. There are countries where there are such abuses. And Paul, the gospel, relates to everybody, everywhere, no matter who you are or no matter where you are. You ever worried about what might happen politically in the United States? You know, think about people in communist China, people in Russia, where there's been incredible oppression. What is amazing is in these countries where everything circumstantially, we would say it's all wrong, the gospel thrives significantly in those areas. The gospel is not chained. And so one of the things that we can get messed up in is we can live in a culture where we think that external circumstances are all that matter and that we're defined by those. And Paul in this passage says that is not the case. Uh, Was anyone at the time, verse 18, of his call already circumcised? Um, That's being a Jew or not circumcised. That's a Gentile. What Paul is saying is it does not matter what your race is. That does not matter. Um, about being a bondservant or being, being a slave, being a slave or being free. That doesn't matter. You can serve Christ as a slave. You can serve Christ free. It doesn't matter where you are, what your circumstances are. You can live for Christ. And this is the, the part that I think for each of us we need to think about. And this is, this is powerfully ap- applicable to every single one of us. Look at verse 17. Only let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned to him. Have you thought about that? That the family that you are in, God assigned that family to you. You ever grown up and or seen people in a family and think, man, I feel so bad for that person that they grow, grew up in that family. I've heard of incredible, tragic things. Or you look at another person and say, man, they were so blessed. Look at the family that they grew up in. Or maybe somebody else, you just think to yourself, why was I born in the United States? We used to take kids into Mexico to do missions trips and go into dumps and things like that. And, and one of the things we would do is we would drive across the border, and as we would come back is we would say to them, 
Um, do you ever wonder why you were born in your family and that little kid your age living in a dump in Tijuana? Why they were born in that family? It does not matter where we are born or what's going on, but have you thought about the fact that God has assigned to you a position? He has assigned to you a place. Like we need to keep in mind that everything about our life fits in to God's sovereign plan. And, um, you know, that needs to inform everything that we do. You know, I was thinking about the Apostle Paul, he's sharing the gospel. Do you know that's one of the first things that he tells people when he's sharing the gospel in Acts chapter 17? God made the world, he made everybody in it, and he determines your days, and he determines the boundaries of your habitation. We think that we live where we live because we chose it. But what God says is, no, he puts you where you are. Um, God has divinely placed you in your life for his purpose. And this includes your marriage. It includes whether you're married or single. It includes actually everything about your life, the struggles you have, your circumstances, your financial condition. God has placed you where you are. That does not disconnect that we make decisions, and, and it's, not like, it's not like our choices don't impact us, but God is sovereign even over our choices. You know, it's interesting when um, John the Baptist is preaching and people come in repentance, and um, then they start asking, hey, what should we do? You know, this, this whole theme of God's sovereignty and God placing you in the spot you are in your life is not unique just to this passage. Um, it's throughout the Bible. But this is what um, John the Baptist says to the crowds when they come to him in repentance. He says that the crowds asked him, what then shall we do? And he just answered them, whoever has two tunics. This is uh, Luke chapter 3, verse 10. Whoever has two tunics is to share with him who has none. Whoever has food is to do likewise. So he starts by just saying, take what you have and share with the people around you. You're a believer. You want to follow the Lord. You care about and love the people around you. And then he says to tax collectors, oh, that's terrible. You've, be, you've betrayed your, your race. You should quit being, oh, wait, no, he doesn't say that. Tax collectors also came to be baptized and said to him, teacher, what shall we do? And he said, collect no more than you are authorized to do. Roman soldiers who were told to do, uh, they, they were under the command of other people, and they had to do the work of the military and, and all that that meant. And uh, when they, it says, uh, and he says to them, soldiers also asked him, what shall we do? Do we need to get out of the army? Should we stop serving in that? And he said to them, do not extort money from anyone by threats or false accusations, but be content with your wages. Isn't it interesting that in all those circumstances, God doesn't say as a believer, leave. He says as a believer, stay where God puts you, but be a believer. Do what you do with integrity. Let your light shine before men in such a way that they'll see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. So think about that. Sometimes we think, oh yeah, the gospel's not for work. I might get in trouble. No, actually the gospel is for your work. God puts you there to reach the people that you work with. Uh, your neighborhood, 
God put you in your neighborhood to reach your neighbors. He put you in whatever city you live in to be an influence for Christ in your city. And so we obviously, when it comes to politics and things like that, um, we do want to be a godly influence. We want to be salt and light. But we're never worried or afraid about what God might do, the direction that things might go. Because we realize that if everything goes just how we want it to go, God can be glorified in that. And if the exact opposite of what we want happens, God can be glorified in that. Think about all the things you know of the Old Testament, right? Think about Joseph. He sinned against, gets sold into slavery. And yet God has a plan for him in Potiphar's house. He has a plan for him in prison. And he has a plan for him as the ruler of Egypt. God divinely put Joseph where he wanted him. How about Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? They get deported from Israel to Babylon because of the sinfulness of the nation. Not because they were sinful. They got caught up in the sinfulness of their nation. And yet God did amazing things through them because they were faithful. You know, it's interesting that with probably the hundreds of people that were deported, we know the names of four um, people who are faithful to God regardless of their circumstances are used powerfully by God. And so I would just challenge you and encourage you to think about the station that God has placed you in life and how you can be a light, how you can take your circumstances. Hey, some of us are pretty happy about our circumstances, right? I mean, hey, some of us are. And then there are others who, if we could push a button and have different circumstances, probably in a bunch of places in life, we would do that. We would want things to be different. And the thing that every single one of us needs to know is your circumstances might be good today and they may be terrible tomorrow. Or your circumstances might be terrible today and they may be wonderful tomorrow. But on a fundamental level, it doesn't actually matter where you are on that scale. God has a purpose for you and how you live. And so that's our first point. Um, that is that serving Christ is the priority of every believer's life. Now I want to just work through the rest of um, 1 Corinthians chapter 7 and just think about what are the specific things that God says? This is how this applies to this. This is how God this applies to this. And one of the things that you're going to see is that that's actually the driving force bef behind everything that Paul says about marriage. Is he's just saying live for the glory of God. Live for a purpose bigger than yourself. And it definitely applies in all the ways that Paul says it applies in this passage. But it applies in many other ways too because that's the, the underlying principle. So let's look at this. Um, look at 1 Corinthians 6 or 7, verse 16. It just says this. He's talking to people uh, married to unbelievers, and he's just saying, hey, if your unbelieving spouse is willing to live with you, don't get divorced. If your unbelieving spouse leaves, God is gracious. You are free to remarry. And so he's just saying you don't have control over that, but he's saying don't be so worried about your circumstances. If you're married or you're not married, if, you're, if your marriage is challenging or if it's great or non-existent, don't be so worried about that. But one of the things that he says to people married to unbelievers is he just emphasizes the gospel, right? Um, 
prioritize salvation. He just says, how do you know, a wife, whether you will save your husband? Or how do you know, O husband, whether you will save your wife? Paul's instructions to people in a struggling marriage, to unbelievers, is just to say their salvation is worth any struggle that you're going through. It's worth any trial. Be the person that God calls you to be in your marriage. God may save your spouse. You know, we, we often, uh, one of the things I found when I took people on mission trips is that we could take people on mission trips and they were happy to stand on a corner and hand out tracts or share the gospel with somebody somewhere else in some other country. But those same people, if you took them to their friends or to their school, they don't want to say anything to their friend. And I would just say that our heart for evangelism is not somewhere else with someone else. It's with the people that God has put right next to us. So that's a priority. And uh, that's one of the things that we see uh, for Jesus. Um, Jesus modeled that, and he was concerned with people's spiritual well-being. In uh, Matthew 9, verse 35, I'll start there. You guys can start in 36. But it says, And Jesus went through all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every disease and affliction. God cared about people. Jesus cared about people. He was healing their diseases and afflictions. But that was more than just caring for them. It was a sign that he was who God said he was. And then in verse 36, And he saw the crowds, and he had compassion for them because they were harassed, and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. You know, that's what happens. You pray for the salvation of people. If you're driving past the gate of the person who's the security agent or if you're getting gas in the same gas station and you're seeing this person over and over and you start praying for them and you're praying for the people that God puts in your life and maybe you go to a restaurant and you see the same waitress over and over and and you don't, I mean, yes, we should leave good tips as Christians, but that's not the end of it. But we're praying for them and you want to know what's going to happen if you pray for people and you pray for their salvation, eventually God is going to open up the door. He's going to give you an opportunity to actually have a conversation with them. And that's part of that whole Christmas thing that we're doing is we want to be a part of praying for you and helping you to open that door. The next thing that we need to do here is that we need to live in light of the return of Christ. Um, It is incredible how thinking about the fact that life is a vapor, that Jesus is going to return, that we are going to stand before him and give an account for our life. it's, It's amazing how much that informs the daily things that happen to us in life. Look at verse 25. Um, This is a challenging verse. There's some controversy in it, but it says, now concerning the betrothed, I have no command for the Lord, but I give my judgment. Actually, and, and just how he's talking about this in these passages, I'll point that out in a moment. Now, concerning the betrothed, I have no command for the Lord, but I give my judgment as one who, by the Lord's mercy, is trustworthy. I think that in view of the present distress, it is good for a person to remain as he is. Are you bound to a wife? Don't seek to be free. Are you free from a wife? Don't seek a wife. But if you do marry, 
you do, you've not sinned. And if a betrothed woman marries, she's not sinned. Yet those who marry will have worldly troubles, and I want to spare you from that. So he's just saying being married brings with it some challenges. And I'm just saying when you think about the difficulty and the challenges in life, it's easier not to be married. This is one of the things that Paul was talking about, and I, I think often um, we can misunderstand some of that, but think about this. Paul was single, and the apostle Peter was married, and one of the things that we find out with the apostle Paul is that as he traveled, um, he talks about being shipwrecked, being beaten with rods, like all these really dangerous, painful, terrible things that happened to him, being thrown in prison. If he was traveling with his wife, um, we think, oh, man, we, we argued about what to watch on TV. It's harder to be married. That's not what Paul was talking about. Paul was saying, as I go through life and as I minister for the gospel, maybe it's not just me that's being beaten and thrown in prison. Maybe my wife is also being beaten and thrown in prison. I know people have wanted to go to the mission field, but they just think if I go there, I might be killed. And if I take my family there, they may be killed. And the Apostle Paul is saying, when you are living for God's glory, it's easier to walk through the door and say, I may be beaten and killed for this, than it is to say, I'm going to take my wife and kids, and we all may be beaten and killed. So that's what Paul, the Apostle Paul is talking about. You're going to have trouble as you look at this present distress. But one of the things I want you to know is that the Bible says that Peter took along a believing wife. Peter did travel with his wife. He was doing ministry. Together they faced the dangers of what it meant to be a believer. And so both of those options are okay, but that's what Paul's talking about here. Verse 29, this is what I meant, brothers. The appointed time has grown very short. <laughs> now, he wrote that like almost 2,000 years ago. It's grown very short. And we're like, man, the Apostle Paul felt like it was a short time. And, man, it's been so long since then. As believers, we need to live in light of the fact that, that the time we have left is short. But Paul's just saying, man, life is a vapor. Before you know it, it's going to be over. A lot of the things that concern you, oh, I want to be married, I want to experience these things, is like, you know what, this life's going to pass, it's going to be over, you're going to be in heaven for eternity, and those things aren't going to matter. It's thinking about life from the lens of eternity. And then he says this, from now on, let those who have wives live as though they had none. Let those who mourn as though they were not mourning, and those who rejoice as though they were not rejoicing. And those who buy as though they had no goods. And those who deal with the world as though they had no dealings with it. For the present form of this world is passing away. You know, um, Peter talks about this in um, 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 1 through 14, where he says people are just making this argument and they're saying, hey, Jesus has been gone for a long time and he's never coming back. Everything just continues the way it's always been going. And he says that when they say that, they are deliberately ignoring the flood. Everybody in, in uh, Noah's day thought, oh, we're going to be good. Things are just going to continue. And then all of a sudden, the flood came and drowned everyone. And he says people are still doing that today. And then he says, 
and they're ignoring the fact that God is storing up judgment to, to pour out on the people who reject him. And then he goes on and he just says, God is not slow. One day is as a thousand years and a thousand years is as a day. And everybody does all kinds of crazy things with that. You want to know what that means? It means that a day is short and to God, a thousand years is short. They're similar in that they're both short. It doesn't say a thousand years is a day or a day is a thousand years. It just says it's like they're both short. And it says that the reason Jesus is delaying returning is because God loves people. He wants everybody to come to repentance. He's giving people more time. And that's one of the things that we need to live in light of the return of Christ. It puts things in perspective. And it's really sad what ends up happening uh, sometimes as people consider um, this passage. If you're married live like you had no wife, right? So you want to know what a lot of people do? I've known people personally. Is you'll have somebody who says, I want to be a missionary in a foreign land. And my wife doesn't share my view, but I care about the salvation of people out there. And some of our missionary heroes that are in, in books that we read about, what amazing things they did, some of them left their spouse to go to the mission field. Uh, some of them, um, like there, there are stories of these famous missionaries where their, their, their wives and them, they hated each other. And people look at this, and, and you'll see this happen a lot of times in ministry, where people who are in pastoral ministry, they spend all their time with other people. And they ignore their spouse, they ignore their own kids, they don't shepherd their family, and they say, no, I've got to do the work of God, which is more important than my family. And that is not what God is saying here. And it's clarified by what Paul says next, verse 32. Wherever we find ourselves, we need to honor God in that state. Look at verse 32. I want you to be free from anxieties. The unmarried man is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to please him. In other words, I'm charging off. I'm going to be put on trial. Um, I've, I've been captured by these people. I may be beheaded. And so I have one concern. How do I please the Lord? And he goes on and he says, but to the married, but the married man is anxious about worldly things, how to please his wife. You know, the Bible tells us that if a person doesn't care for the needs of his family, he is worse than an unbeliever. What Paul is saying here is if you're not married, you can live like you're not married. But if you are married, you need to live like you're married, which means it doesn't matter what kind of spiritual priorities you think you see. Your spouse and your kids, and the people that God has put in your family, that is your primary priority. And when you choose to get married, that is the choice that you make. And I've told some of my friends, I had a friend who had a son that was really struggling in his teenage years, and he was kind of fed up with it, and he just went off to be a missionary and left his kid. And I supported him, but I actually stopped supporting him that day. I didn't support him anymore. And, and what I encouraged him is you stay and you minister and you care to your own child. And after he comes to the, know the Lord or moves out of your house, then you can go do whatever God calls you to do. Um, I know missionaries that have taken their kids and put it, their kids in missionary schools for someone else to raise. I've talked to so many kids who have grown up in missionary schools who have such animosity toward their parents because they were abandoned. And I say to those parents, there's nothing wrong 
with taking your spouse and your little kids and going and living in the jungle. Nothing wrong with that. Nothing was saying that as a family, we are going to pursue the salvation of this tribe and, and to help your kids and your whole family understand what it means to live for the gospel. There is nothing wrong with that. But there is something wrong with saying, I'm going to go to the jungle and I'm leaving my kids somewhere else. If you don't have kids, you don't have to live like you have kids. But if you have kids, you need to live like you have kids. Verse 34, it just says his interests are divided. The unmarried or betrothed woman is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to be holy in body and spirit. But the married woman is, is anxious about worldly things, how to please her husband. I say this for your own benefit, not to lay any restraint on you, but to promote good order and to secure your undivided devotion to the Lord. Paul wants your undivided devotion. God wants your undivided devotion. And if you're married and if you have a family, then God gets your undivided devotion as you honor and obey him in the circumstances that you've been put in. And for the Apostle Paul, he made the choice. I don't want to have to worry about providing for my family. I'm just going to go live for the Lord. And if I'm killed, I'm killed. And, and he wanted that wholehearted ability to pursue that and that's what Paul chose and is it interesting that the apostle Paul says hey this is what I recommend I mean as the apostle Paul was thinking about his choice he made a choice and he goes I think you're better off if you do this the apostle Peter made a different choice and here's the interesting thing we don't know when Peter made that choice exactly but we know that when Jesus was uh, ministering to the disciples uh, Peter was already married. And so Peter made that decision, and he lived out his devotion to the Lord as a married man. And that's what God intends, is that whether you're single or married, that you spend your life pursuing um, God's purpose. Here's another one. We embrace the choices that God gives us. <laughs> you want to know what that means? If you want to be single... <laughs> You're allowed to be single. God gives you that choice. Unless, of course, you're married, and then you change your mind, and you decided, I'm married, I don't want to be married anymore. No, that's not your choice anymore. It was your choice before you got married. And, and if you just decide, if you decide, hey, I really want to be married, you get to pursue the choice that God gives you, which is find somebody that wants to marry you. Like, it'd be a problem if you went and enslaved somebody, and there are countries and places where that can happen. Um, and also, you're free to marry whoever you want only in the Lord. What if the only person you can find that you want to marry and that wants to marry you is not a believer? That is not a choice that God gives you. And so we pursue the choices that God gives us. This is what he says in verse 36. And this is the controversial thing about uh, verse 36. If anyone thinks that he is not behaving uh, properly toward his betrothed. There is a debate in this passage about whether this is the person that's engaged or the dad overseeing the daughter. And um, so with the point of this passage, I think it is talking about the person who is betrothed. I think there's some things that make sense, but it's actually very challenging to work those issues through. But either way, it ends up with the same application. It says, if anyone thinks he is not behaving properly toward his betrothed, if his passions are strong, and it has to be, let him do as he wishes. Let them marry. It is no sin. 
Um, but whoever is firmly established in his heart, being under no necessity, but having the desire under control and, and has determined in his heart to keep her out as his betrothed, he will do well. So then he who marries his betrothed does well, and he who refrains from marriage will do even better. <laughs> the Apostle Paul saying, it's great if you get married, but if you don't get married, it's even better. Because what did he choose? To not get married. And from a certain perspective, that is better. But you want, want to know what he says? If you have this incredible passion, this desire to get married, then get married. And, and one of the things that we have to think about is that God gives us choices. And when God gives us choices, we embrace the choices that he gives us. Paul doesn't here say, I've chosen to be single, therefore everybody needs to be single. Peter didn't say, I've chosen to be married, therefore everybody needs to be married. And that's one of the things that we need to think about in life is that when God gives us choices, pray about it, think about it, and then embrace the choice that God's given you and honor the Lord in whatever choice you make. Look at verse 39. A wife is bound to her husband as long as he lives, but if her husband dies, she is free to be married to whomever she wishes. Only <laughs> in the Lord. <laughs> Do you see that part? Married to whoever she wishes, only in the Lord. And so we need to embrace these things. And here's the deal. We can decide to simplify our life. Um, there's people who have very complicated businesses. There's a lot of things that they're doing. And you know what? God intends them to honor the Lord in how they do that. And life can be very complicated. But there's a sense in which no matter how much rich you are, no matter how busy you are, no matter what God's doing, you pursue pleasing the Lord in that. You can choose to simplify your life. I'm going to get rid of my business, sell everything I have, and go to the mission field where life is more simple in some ways, but more complicated in others. And you can make that choice. But whatever you choose to do, wholeheartedly follow the Lord in the choice that you've made. So I do want to summarize one thing from all the, the teaching in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. And this includes Jesus' teaching since Paul refers to it. But there's three reasons that Paul gives here to end a marriage. And, and it's amazing to me how we can have a culture of people who have been in church for a really long time and how people can think there is no reason to ever get divorced. And then there are other people who at the same time been sitting in church for a long time who can feel like, oh, there's, you can get divorced for any reason. Now, this is, these are the reasons that the Apostle Paul gives and that Jesus gives and that the Bible gives is that you can end a marriage in the case of adultery. The Bible doesn't say you have to end a marriage in the case of adultery. That's the other choice that God gives us. We don't have to, but you can. You can also end a marriage if, if you're married and you become a believer and your unbelieving spouse says, I don't want to be married to a Christian. Um, if that happens, you are free to remarry. And if your spouse passes away, your marriage is over and you are free to remarry. And those are the things that God has given. And, and that's the thing is that so often I'll see in those situations people who are pressured to pick a choice, a certain choice, that God has actually given them more than one choice. And it's important for us as believers, and it is important for spiritual leaders 
to encourage people, this is what God says your options are, and to encourage people to take those options. Um, the things that God has said, you decide on some things, and other things, doesn't matter what you want. This is what God says you need to do. We need to encourage obedience. And here's the other really good news, is that God is gracious, he is loving, he is forgiving, and there's a lot of times that we make choices that we cannot undo. There's, I know people who have gotten divorced for unbiblical reasons, and then they've gotten remarried, and they're like, okay, what do I do now? And here's the thing. If we have the option of going back and obeying the Lord, we do it. We always do it, no matter what it costs. We stop right where we are, and we just go do the right thing. But there are sometimes, what do you do now with the next marriage? You're going to divorce this person so you can go either not be married or it's like you can be in this catch-22. And the thing I want to encourage you with is wherever you are, you just start right now today. If you've walked down a path that you shouldn't have walked down, you start right now today. You just confess that. You say, God, forgive me. I wish I would have done the right thing, but here's where I am. How do I honor you from where I am? And uh, that's the amazing thing about God's grace and mercy and compassion. And I'm just telling you, you can read through all kinds of stories in the Bible. Let me give you one example, and then we're going to close in prayer. <laughs> King David, right? He marries Bathsheba, and he kills her husband. That was the most horrendous sin that you can imagine. And then what happens? He confesses, he repents, and who is the mother and father of the next king of Israel? It's David and Bathsheba. That is the marriage that God blesses, and he gives them an offspring who becomes the next king. And so I just want to encourage you, don't disobey God. That is a bad idea. But if you did, just start right now doing what God says you should do. Let me pray. God, thank you for giving us your word. I just ask that you would be help us to be people who know what you say and help us to be people that are willing to obey. And, Lord, there are so many times that we get off track, that we, we take steps that we shouldn't take. And, of course, we always suffer for those things. And yet you are loving and gracious and merciful and forgiving. And, God, I just thank you for the way that, that you restore. And, Lord, there's not a person alive who has not um, seen you forgive them and be gracious to them and even remove the consequences of sin. And so, Lord, we pray that you would help us to be people who live for your glory in your name. Amen.